The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Well, I was tempted to show that Princess Bride clip right now. (laughs) Marriage, you know. I I won't go on. For those of you who haven't seen Princess Bride, you need to. (laughs) Marriage is probably the most beautiful relationship humans can experience. Falling in love. This is just weird, preaching this sermon with you two. Tell you what, everyone, before we go any further, I'm just going to preach to Roger and Christy today. You can all listen in. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But falling in love, you know, anticipating the big day, walking up the aisle, beginning that new life together in marriage, it captures some of our greatest hopes and dreams. It's what the love stories are made of. It's exciting stuff. It's been my privilege to, I literally lost count. I don't know how many weddings I've been able to officiate at. It's exciting stuff. Uh, I think my, my, my rough count's over 50. And, uh, and it's just so exciting to be part of people's special day, especially when I know them, but also even others I'm not familiar with. It's just exciting to be there on the day where they commit to walk together for life. And yet, for many, marriage has also been the most painful, the most degrading, the most difficult relationship that we've ever endured. And I know that's true some of us. What started off in hope, you know, ended in despair. What began as a journey of love faltered on, well, the rocks of indifference, the rocks of selfishness, the rocks of sin, whatever it was. Today we're talking about marriage, we're also talking about divorce. And this isn't a subject I picked out of the hat because too many of you have been talking to me. This is actually the next passage in Mark. We're continuing through the Gospel of Mark together. And we're learning through the life and the teachings of Jesus what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow Him. And in particular, we're past the halfway point in Mark where now He's really getting clear that this following me business is difficult stuff, hard stuff. Why? Because I'm a Messiah who's going to go and die. And if you're following a Messiah who's going to die, well there's a strong chance that you're going to die too. One way or the other. That your life is going to be shaped by my life. 
by the ways that I'm living. And he's getting really clear in a lot of different areas about what this looks like in the life of a disciple. And he's trying to, to peel off all the layers that these disciples have been carrying about um, that the following the Messiah is all about victory. It's all good. And some of us have even grown up in a culture that said, you know, all you have to do is follow Jesus and everything will be great. That's a lie, you know. In fact, Jesus is saying, if you follow me, everything will not be great. Or there will be joy and there will be good things. And my presence to walk with you and there'll be, there'll be forgiveness and the mending of, of some relationships. There'll be, there'll be awesome stuff. But, Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, make no mistake about it. I'm a Messiah who suffers and those who follow me will suffer too. So some difficult things he wants to say. We're learning what it means to have Jesus, have his teaching and his life shape our lives and determine our priorities. And that, those run right up against some of our own deeply held convictions about what's important and what really matters, right? As we come and follow Jesus. For the next few weeks, Mark seems to have his discipleship lens focused on our most central relationships. Today we're going to deal with marriage and, and divorce. Next week we deal with kids and the following week we deal with money. Marriage, kids, and money. Can you think of three kind of more central relationships in our lives? And could it be, let me pose for you, could it be that it's in these three areas that we need Jesus the most to disciple us? To challenge us? To change our hearts and our priorities? Well, maybe. Today we're talking about marriage. And we're talking about marriage within a particular story in Jesus' life, a particular time in Mark's gospel. And um, Jesus is challenged with a question about divorce, a question that's designed to trick him, a question that's designed to get him into trouble. And we're going to kind of look at some of that. It's not an easy story. And I've got to tell you, I approach today with some real fear and trembling. I've I got to tell you that. It's been quite the... Well, actually, I've seen this one coming down the pipe for a while, but this week in particular. Um, and so I just want to, I want to lay a few things out here before we go any further. Many of us have experienced the tragedy of divorce, and I am really aware of that. And more than a few of us here today carry the shame and the brokenness and perhaps the bitterness and the unforgiveness because of what happened in our past, in our lives. Some of you have experienced the tragedy of divorce firsthand, where the, the, that man or that woman that you loved, with whom you hoped to share your life with, maybe they betrayed you, maybe they simply forgot about you, maybe they left you, maybe they disregarded you, and you were left alone and unloved. Some of you look back on your divorce and you feel incredible guilt and incredible shame because you acknowledge the ways that you contributed to the breakdown of that marriage. And you wish you could do it all over again, if you could. Some of you, when you finally got divorced, you experienced that loss and that shame that went with it, along with the immense relief that it was finally over. Because maybe there was unfaithfulness. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe it was because you were simply crushed and, and couldn't live in that situation any longer. Other, others of us have experienced the devastation of, of divorce because our parents got divorced. We saw our family torn apart, and we've forever wrestled with that. 
You can remember the fighting, you can remember the anger, you can remember the tension, and you vividly recall, maybe because it wasn't very long ago, maybe it was a while ago, you vividly recall the ache in your heart, your hope that somehow your dad and your mom would figure it out, would, would make it better, and that maybe you uttered prayers in the dark that somehow... Somehow there would be a miracle and you watch movies like The Parent Trap or something and you, you imagine ways you could get your mom and dad to work it out and, and yet it never happened. And the loss of that and the wounds of that have shaped you. Maybe you remember being forced to divide your time between mom and dad or worse, maybe you just simply never saw one of your parents much again. Others have seen and witnessed and lived through the the way divorce has ripped our kids' lives apart or maybe our siblings' lives apart that, or that aunt who's no longer an aunt or that uncle who's no longer an uncle and all the weirdness that goes with that and all the, the loss that goes with that. I dare say that very few of us here today have not been affected in some way by divorce. Some really are at the core of who we are and some of us perhaps a little more removed, but we've all been affected by it. And with any conversation around this, uh, many of us immediately feel shame and guilt around it. And I just want to say today, before we go any further, that whatever your situation, whatever your story, whatever your experience, that Jesus loves you. He loves you, and he longs for you to experience his healing, his forgiveness, and his grace. That there's no shame here today. That none of what's going to be said, none of what we're talking about is in any way an attempt to crush you, to push you down, to make you feel terrible, but rather to hear today God's love and his desire for you. To hear in this teaching, yes, God's good ideal of marriage, but also the reality of sin's effects on our lives and on our marriages, and that God knows you, and he knows your situation, and he longs for you to experience his goodness even now going forward. I just want you to hear that. We're going to dig into this particular teaching of Jesus on marriage and divorce, and we're going to bring in a few other scriptures, and then toward the end of this message, we're going to have an opportunity to share. And uh, you may have questions about the text, you may have questions, and I do realize that this is a tender topic. So, before I even go on, I'll say one more thing. If today, somehow, through the message, you heard something that just so hurt you, or so ticked you off, or even made you say, I'm never going back to that church again, can I ask one, please, one favor of you? Would you, in one last act of courage, come and talk to me about that? Because that is not at all what I believe Jesus wants, nor is it what I think is going on in this story. So, is that enough of a qualifier here? I want you to hear that Jesus loves you, whatever your story. So, let's dig into Mark chapter 10 together. Um, it's in your bulletin, uh, or if you have a Bible, or there's some Bibles in the front of your pew, go ahead. It's in Mark chapter 10 which is the second gospel in the New Testament. It's the shortest story we have about Jesus. And as we do that, let's just pray. Jesus, I ask that you would give us open hearts to hear what you have to say today. For those of us, of us who are married, that there, you would, we would hear today a challenge to follow you in our marriage. For those of us here today who have suffered from divorce personally, I ask Jesus for grace and for healing through this time together. For those of us who are single, may we hear uh, your call to follow you as a single, or potentially, in, perhaps in the future, as married. I pray in all this, 
we would just hear your call of love to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds came to him, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Now, this is kind of interesting. I know that this probably doesn't, um, you know, immediately snap your attention, but this is the first time Jesus is back, as, as far as Mark records, back to where he was baptized by John the Baptist. Most of Jesus' ministry has been up in the north in Galilee, and now he's back down across the Jordan, right where John the Baptist had done a lot of his ministry and his teaching. And that significance of that can come out in just a moment. But he's, he's in, back in John's prophetic territory. And remember, Jesus kind of looks a lot like John. He's related to John. He was, he was, John was his forerunner, and, and Jesus had a relationship with John. So Jesus and his association with John would already be strong, but particularly when he comes back to this area. And he's in the, the, the woods, as it were. He's out in the wilderness when some Pharisees come and ask him a question. Verse 2, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now this can seem like a, maybe a hard question, but a fairly simple question. You know, it's, it's not, you think, well, there's not a lot going on. They want to know, are we allowed to divorce our wives? And, uh, and you think, well, they're asking particularly, is it lawful according to the law of Moses? Which is their way of saying, basically, is God okay with divorce? Because they would say, if it's in the law of Moses, it's the word of God, therefore, does God permit divorce? Does Moses allow divorce? But what's going on here, there's a lot more under the surface than immediately meets the eye. These Pharisees, who are members of that strict religious sect we've talked about before, we've seen them in the story before, they're not asking this question because they're interested in a theological debate. They're like wondering what Jesus has to say. They're not asking it because some of them have had their consciences smitten because of how easily they've ditched their older wives in favor of newer models. That's not why they're asking this question. They're asking this question specifically to test Jesus and specifically because they believe that he'll be forced to answer the question in such a way that will get him in trouble. That's why they're asking this question. Let's get it real clear here. These are the same guys who earlier in the story have already plotted to kill Jesus. They're already on the move. They want him dead. They want him removed. And so they ask this question to test him. But how is this a test exactly? I mean... In what way could they get Jesus in trouble based on Jesus' response here? Well, do you, you do remember John the Baptist? Do you remember what happened to John the Baptist, anyone? What happened to him? Beheaded. By who? By Herod. And why was he beheaded by Herod? Why was he in prison in the first place exactly? Because he publicly criticized Herod's marriage to a divorced woman particularly a woman that had been previously married to Herod's brother. It got a little weird in those days, you understand. But that's, in particular, why John the Baptist got in trouble in the first place. He kept telling Herod, you should not have your brother's wife. And Herodias did like that. In fact, looked for the first opportunity she could to get back at John, and, and, and she did. John the Baptist died as that prophetic figure who spoke up publicly and criticized 
a local ruler's marriage. So how are these Pharisees testing Jesus? Well, if they can catch him publicly criticizing Herod and Herodias' marriage, <laughs> they've got some fodder, don't they? They can denounce him. Because, you know, you can't question a king's marriage without questioning the legitimacy to the throne, right? I mean, all you historians know why Henry VIII became Anglican, right? Or, you know what's going on here. If you question the legitimacy of a man's marriage, therefore his kids, therefore his house, we call that treason. And they were looking for any opportunity they could to get this Jesus character out of here. So this is the trick question that they're asking Jesus. It's not motivated by a theological concern. It's not motivated by the state of divorce rates. That's not what it's motivated by. It's not motivated by a desire to have a better marriage. It is motivated by one desire, to destroy Jesus. And I do think it's important to hear that as we go into this story, because what we're going to get is not the whole full-blown, this is the full explanation. What we're going to get is a response to what's going on here. All right, so Jesus must step very carefully, but uh, he's pretty good at that, so here we go. As typical, he asks, you know, see is asked a question, what does he do? He throws back with another question. What did Moses command you? He replied. They're asking, does Moses permit divorce? What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. There you go, that's the answer. Moses allowed divorce. But why? Jesus goes on to say, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law. Before we go any further, let me just get a few things out on the table so we understand what's going on. First of all, this original divorce permission by Moses was written, you need to hear this carefully, was written to protect vulnerable women. That's why it was written. If you go back to Deuteronomy 24, the only real place is not a specific command, you may, thou shalt, you know, divorce. It's not a command like that. It's basically, they allowed for a woman to be divorced, but they said to the guy, look, in order to divorce her, you have to write her a certificate of divorce so that she is no longer married and she can prove it. And it was a way of protecting her because women were seen as property of the men. And without that, she would have absolutely no recourse other than prostitution or perhaps her family would take her back. And this certificate of divorce, I still don't know how much it did for her, but at least it was a way of saying she's not bound to marriage and now she has some certificate to say, look, I'm not married anymore, I'm free to marry. But it was given to protect her. And, and it's an important insight, actually, we won't get into this today, but it's an important insight into how we understand the law of Moses. That much of the law was written because hearts were hard and the law was written to mitigate against the worst things happening. And so he said, in order to protect vulnerable women, you've got to write them a certificate of divorce. That's what Moses allowed. But Jesus says, it's because your hearts were hard that Moses said that. This isn't a good thing. Secondly, and this is super important, men divorced women. Women did not divorce men. They didn't. Now, it may have been technically allowed under some laws, but it just didn't happen. Men held all the power, all the position, and women didn't divorce their husbands. There are very few exceptions. One of them, interestingly enough, is Herodias herself. She seemed to have divorced her husband. But by and large, 
women, certainly in Jewish society, but even in Greek society and Roman society, they didn't divorce men. They couldn't divorce men. What would they do afterwards? All of their provision, all of their protection, the only way they could make it in that world that was so patriarchal, so hierarchical, the only way they could do it was under the protection of a man, either their husband or a brother or a father, or as we see in John, in the story of the woman at the well in John, just somebody that was willing to let her live with him. Right? Women didn't have that kind of opportunity. And what was happening in that culture, in, particularly in Jesus' day, is they were using, men were using this permission. See, Moses said, all I have to do is write you a certificate of divorce and, I can, and I'm out. They were using this permission from Moses to divorce their wives for any reason they wanted to. It didn't have to be a legitimate reason. It could be, I'm tired of her cooking. It really could be. I'm not kidding. She's burned the food one too many times. She's out. It could be for nastier reasons, like I, 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 I don't want to commit adultery because I'm a good, you know, God-fearing Jew. All I have to do is divorce her and take up, with, you know, marry her. And I didn't commit adultery. I'm completely pure and clean before the eyes of God because I did what the law allowed me to do, right? That's what's going on in this culture. Apparently, the divorce rates were very high. Women were just being discarded like that, like trash, being dismissed by their husbands. And, and even if, as I said earlier, even in the t- days of Jesus, even if you got that certificate of divorce, let's be honest, you were damaged goods. That's how you were seen. And I, the word goods is not a, just a phrase. It was still seen as the property of the man. So, so if, if a woman was divorced, she'd go back, likely she'd at least try, first go back to her father's house and we'll see if he lets her back. He may say no, go back or go somewhere else. He may let her in, but she's going to be a second-rate citizen from then on, Right? Maybe someone else would take her up. Maybe someone else would marry her. Or maybe she would enter a life of prostitution. Or a life like the woman at the well where, uh, you know, who knows what she was being required to do to live under that roof. Women had no power. They had no recourse. They were at the whim of men. And that's what men were doing in the day of Jesus. They were taking the law of Moses and doing whatever they wanted to with the women in their lives. You've got to hear this very clearly. Because if you hear that that's, if you understand that that's going on in the culture around Jesus, that the men of his day are willy-nilly divorcing their wives because they're tired of them, then what Jesus says next makes a whole lot more sense. Jesus takes them right back to the original purpose of marriage, the original story of marriage, which we believe that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. And so what Jesus does is he says, well, let's go to something else Moses said. Let's go all the way back to the first story of creation, or as it reads out, perhaps you could say, the second story of creation. But let's go back to the early story of creation and see exactly what God did. And perhaps you even see what Moses commanded. So Jesus says, yeah, okay, certificate of divorce. It's because your hearts were hard, that Moses wrote this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he's quoting from Genesis 2, which Maddie read for us. Maddie and I had a terrific conversation on Genesis 2 this week. Maddie and I meet every, every, once every month and we do Bible study and talk about stuff. And wow, we got carried away. It was like an hour and a half in Genesis 2, which is why I asked her to read it today. It's good stuff. 
but we can't get into that, all that today. Okay, so at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then what we have in Genesis, if you look back, what you have is what's called like an editorial comment. You can take this as the voice of Moses in Genesis 2. For this reason, God you know, made a woman from a man, one, one bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, woman, man, all that stuff. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus wants to call their attention, and I think our attention, back to the original vision for marriage. God's vision was that men and women would live as one flesh. That two distinct people under God would be united in marriage and would live a life of shared service to one another and to God. This vision is not a vision of hierarchy. It's not a vision of power, of one over the other. That came after the fall. That came with sin. This vision that God has for us is a vision of being for one another and of living out our lives for the sake of the other Being one flesh means that a man and a woman in a mysterious and a wonderful way become united to each other on every level, spiritually, emotionally, sexually, culturally, that they become one flesh. And yes, it's a mystery, but it's a beautiful mystery. And it's one of the reasons we uphold the sanctity of marriage. It's one of the reasons why we guard it so strongly. It's one of the reasons why we urge one another to save sexual activity for after the the, the marriage you know, the honeymoon night. We save it for that. We say, man, woman, you're worth it. Wait till the ring's on your finger. It's one of the reasons why we continue to grow in our marriages. It's one of the reasons why we continue to learn about each other. We live for each other. We explore what it means to be one flesh and walk together through the seasons of life. And that's this vision that God has for us. And, and the vision is true even in spite of the fact that we have difficulties. We have difficulties in our marriages now, those of us who are married. We've had difficulties in our marriages in the past, those of us who are married as well as those of us who are divorced. And we just see it all around. It's a real struggle. There's sin that has got in and has, has warped and twisted and crushed and hurt and wounded. But it doesn't change the fact that this was God's desire for us. You know, just on a side note, um, marriages, our marriages, marriages of this community have been on my heart for a long time now because of the difficulties that we experience, the struggles that we have, both difficult, like really hard stuff, as well as just that daily, like how do we live with each other? How, do we, how does this one flesh thing actually work out on the ground? And so I was, I've been thinking about it, and, and um, the covenant has a new foundation called the Trellis Foundation, which comes out of money that we have um, from the sale of the Bible school uh, back years ago. It's a lot of money. You have to give away a lot of money every year because it's the foundation. Legally, they do. So they asked us for applications, and I thought, well, what would I do with a few thousand bucks for us? You know what I realized I want to do for a few thousand bucks? I want to get some people in to give us a great marriage weekend, to do some kind of a marriage seminar, workshop, something. And so I got on the phone, and I called some folks and talked to Neil Josephson, who's a covenant pastor, but he's the director of Family Life Canada. And uh, we're, we're working on something for March or April of next year, probably April of next year. We're working on, on bringing in a couple who would offer us what's called a day together. And it's, it's kind of a, you know, a day for us to really look at marriage, to learn some stuff, to grow some stuff. And then from there to launch kind of a marriage mentorship 
program right here in our church. There'll be where there's those of us who have had marriages that have been that are healthy. We've got some experience where we can maybe get together once a month with a younger couple who's still newer to things, and uh, just walk together, just talk together, pray together, um, learn from each other, and and see our marriages flourish and be successful. I really, really want that for us as a community, and I, I believe you do too. So keep your ears tuned. We'll be looking at something in, uh, in, you know, in the spring to bring in and, and have for the weekend. And I hope those of us who are, who are married would, uh, would see that as an opportunity to grow in our marriages. As married couples, we need to do that. We need to explore God's intention for us. We need to not simply allow our culture to tell us what our marriages should be or shouldn't be or should look like. Or we shouldn't allow our dis- distractions in our life and the discouragement in our life to just pull us away from what really matters. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to say, look, I know there's difficult realities and I know that there's divorce that has ravaged people's lives and I, and I know that, that you can be really discouraged and even, even, you know, the, even the subject of marriage can make you feel kind of sick. But, but really, let's look back at what God originally intended because what God originally intended is nothing like what we often see. And as followers of Jesus, what we want to do, acknowledging the brokenness in our own lives and receiving God's forgiveness for whatever we need to receive forgiveness for, receiving healing, we still want to orient ourselves toward the big picture of what God desires for us and live into that. So the primary question that disciples of Jesus asked isn't just, you know, how can I get out of this marriage or even what can I get out of this marriage, but really, how do I live into my marriage in a way that God intended? How do, I, how do I flourish in this marriage? God's original intention is kind of cast up on the big screen for them, and he's trying to show these guys that they're throwing it all away. And why are they throwing it away? You know, why are they treating marriage so glibly? Because their hearts are hard. Moses wrote the, the, the permission because they're hard hearts. But hardness of heart has been a theme through Mark, right? Hardness of heart has been something Jesus has come up against quite a number of times already. And what Jesus is saying to them essentially is it's your hardness of hearts that's leading you to act so disrespectfully and so disregarding of the women in your lives. That it's your hardness of heart that is leading you to simply throw away. Throw away what God has joined together. Tear it apart. That it's your hardness of heart toward God's Word, which should be shaping your heart and shaping your life. Now, when you think, I want to speak very specifically, I have to do this because I'm just very aware of some of us, this is touching really close stuff. I think those of us who've experienced divorce, whether personally or people in our lives, we know that hardness of heart is very likely at the root of the problem. Now, it might have been the hardness of your own heart. I mean, we can acknowledge that, right? It might have been because maybe you were a follower of Jesus, maybe you weren't, but you can look back and go, you know what, there was, there was ways that Jesus was speaking to me, there was ways he was wanting to shape me, there were things he was calling my attention to, and I would not listen. And I can look back and say, it's because of hardness in my own heart that my marriage failed. And I just want you to hear this morning that if that's true, if you say, that's me, that there's forgiveness for that. 